You're listening. No. You're listening to the Buns.com Podcast Network. (laughs) (laughs) Buns, buns, buns. Welcome to Pixels and Ink Podcast, episode 269, brought to you by CG Magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Muir, and joining us today are Brendan Fry. Hello there. Brendan Quinn. Oh, hi. And Phil Brown. That's me. How's everyone doing today? Good. Yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm yeah? pretty good. Have a headache. You have a headache. I blame the weather. Is it this awful rainy weather we're having today? I love rainy weather, but yes. Oh, yeah. it's raining now. Wonderful. Yeah. It's a good day to stay inside and watch movies and play video games. Right, guys? You bet. Uh-huh. And read comics mm. or play on some kind of tech if you wish. <laughs> uh, play board games. Watch and what else do we cover? Lots smartphones. Use your smartphone yeah. use your smart for, for browsing our website, cgmagonline.com. Mm-hmm. Which we have recently optimized it a little bit better for smartphones, so it should be faster now. Very subtle plugs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, we don't we don't plug our products at all, guys. Do no. We? Moving right along, we got some great game news happening uh, today. Uh, well, actually, it's comic news. Uh, Brendan, you want to fill us in on that really neat story? Sure. Really so, dumb story. It's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. Uh, Vox Day, the Gamer Gator. Oh, that guy. He's horrible. Really awful individual. (laughs) Um, Has opened a... Sorry, it's not Kickstarter. It's Freestarter. What Mm. is that? Um, It's basically like a free speech Kickstarter where they won't judge you or ban you based on... It's like an alt-right Kickstarter? Yeah, absolutely. So you you can pitch all your racist nonsense in in a safe environment. Good, good, good. Free people judging you, yeah. Social justice warriors. Important. so yeah, they're uh, starting a new comic called Alt Hero. Um, basically, takes place in an alternate world um, where the U.S. is at war with the European Union as well as China and Russia. Okay, and, okay. yeah, with, sure. So mm-hmm. it's got some good heroes. Um, the cover Guys, hero. This is ridiculous. What's up? <laughs> Keep going. I can't, I can't. Oh yeah. Wait till you hear his quote. Mm. So this is what Vox Day had to say about it. Everyone hates what Marvel has become. Their declining sales prove that no one wants to buy comics written by social justice warriors, especially when they feature absurdities like she-Thor spouting feminist talking points, an affirmative action Iron Man who can do no wrong, or a black, lesbian, HIV-positive refugee Batman in a wheelchair writing virtue-signaling poetry on Facebook. We're bringing back real heroes, real villains, and real action, and we're going to give the readers great stories instead of preaching social justice at them. Now, it, the question, are they going to be preaching, like, Oh, Nazi I would imagine slot, the, the hypocrisy of keep your politics out of everything mm-hmm. yeah. of the alt-right is yeah. very much okay. a present. Yeah. Um, the sad part is they had an initial goal of 25,000, um, and they blew past that, and they're now sitting at 111,000 pledges with 12 days to go. That's gross. Yes. Yeah. Although, uh, Freestarter doesn't verify payment pledges on like Kickstarter. <laughs> so there is a good chance a lot of this money actually won't show up. Yeah, just a oh. prank. Yeah. So how much of this money do you think was actual like troll? It seems to be, yeah, yeah, a lot of the accounts. There was one called Freeze Peach that mm-hmm. donated and temporarily bumped them up to $100 million. Um, but that got taken million? down. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. 
<laughs> so these pledges aren't like verified at all at this point. No, not not at least not financially verified. Like I think Kickstarter and stuff use like you need a credit card yeah. when you make yeah, a pledge yeah, yeah. to hold you kind of responsible. Accountable, yeah. Um, and the best uh, part, they've released a lot of artwork from it featuring one of their characters, Rebel, who is basically Wonder Woman, um, drabbed in Confederate flag costume and Daisy Duke shorts. That seems to be huh. the one they're like plugging through the entire site. So, yeah. Like, it's just butt shot after butt shot. Well, if you're going to get a bunch of like gamer gators and yeah. alt right yeah. guys, then yeah, putting a pretty. <laughs> so it's like fictional woman. Yes. <laughs> as long as she's not writing or drawing or working on the product yeah. in any way. Yes. Because no, 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 that's no, 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 no. Feminazi nonsense. No, of course. Yeah. No, no, no. no. Mm-hmm. Has to be men. Cause, yeah. yeah. White men. Yeah, white. Mm-hmm. Clearly, yeah. they're the best no, at everything. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. liberal nonsense. This is offensive on. Yeah, so something to look forward to um, for comic readers who. You here's know. the thing: no one's gonna. <clears throat> yeah, they might get the funding, but no store will carry it. So it's gonna be this weird online thing, I yeah. guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, eight guys on 4chan might buy it, but other than that, yeah. I mm-hmm. don't think it's no, gonna no. sell really well. It's gonna well. go on the eight chan. We're not even going to. Get the <laughs> <laughs> We're not even going that clean. No, mm-hmm. no. So uh, yeah, that's uh, that's comic news for the day. That's exciting stuff. So yeah. dumb. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can't wait. I've already got my first issue pre-ordered. That's mm-hmm. Super dumb. Just I kidding. I don't. I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't want to let the joke like. Yeah. No, I couldn't. I couldn't even let that one fly for like. You a second. were the you were, you were that freeze peach person. With my hundred hundred million dollars of pretend money. <laughs> that is just all kinds of stupid. And yeah. the art looks terrible as well. Yeah, it looks just, just like a heads up. someone's like, yeah. bad webcomic. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Oh, and Chuck Dixon is writing it with him, and he's written on Batman, Nightwing. And, yeah, he's um, done a lot of stuff. I wrote a Marvel book too, but I can't remember. Uh, Punisher, I believe. Yeah, he did the whole Nightfall, Bane, Breaking Batman's back. Oh, that was Chuck Dixon. Really? Uh, no way! That's uh, such a legendary story. Uh, and he's uh, oh. a total dick. Uh, well, we now know what comics not to buy. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Not that they get residuals anyways. <clears throat> yeah, we should actually mention uh, moving into uh, our interview later that we will tease. We have an interview with uh, David Hayter. Yeah, up. Uh, but we did want came on the show uh, earlier this week, so yeah, we're gonna pre-recorded interview that will mm. be coming up shortly. Uh, but we did want to mention the uh, video game strike, like that story about that. Yeah, yeah. So you want to talk about the the fact that the SAG, uh, the Screen, Screen Actors Guild. Uh, and voice actors who were a part of that uh, were on strike for over a year. Yes, about a year Close now. to yeah. almost two. Hmm. It was on for a long time. I was looking back at that. And they've just recently come to a resolution uh, that seems to be amenable to all sides. Uh, Brennan, you have more details on that. Do you want to I do not at this minute. You do not at this minute. <laughs> I thought someone else did, so I'm pulling the story up. <laughs> so they've been on strike for so, a year and they just finished? Yeah, so it, it well they, they they basically they've been there and we'll actually talk to a you. nearly three hundred day strike in part due to the poor working conditions voice actors uh, face as they work on games and other media. Yeah, and one of the one of the big issues, and uh, as I was saying, uh, we talked. Uh, David Hayter mm-hmm. actually has uh, some really interesting things to say about this. But one of the big things was uh, the safety of uh, voice actors during their time. So those of you who don't work with your voice, you, uh, it's really easy to damage it permanently yeah. like mm-hmm. when you damage your voice it's not like something that you can recover over a weekend like like a strained muscle or something like that it like you can severely damage it and so part of the working conditions that they were uh under sorry don't, don't take things out of my hand when i'm playing with them um was uh the fact that they were working for like four hours at a time forced to scream and uh you know make uh sound uh where you're uh 
being hit and that yeah, sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. And that is can be if you're doing that over and over and very you blow your voice out. It, you can mm-hmm. blow your voice out. You can yeah. get nodes. You can rip your vocal cords. There's a bunch of different things that can happen if you're you know that sort of thing. I'm being I'm I'm sure I'm talking about extremes here, mm. but in the fact that they are being working these long hours or they're more likely to have stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. that was one of the big issues that they were kind of looking to find some um, uh, compensation for at the end. So at the, uh, one of the, the, uh, if I remember correctly, one of the um, uh, amendments that they, or well, resolutions that they came to was that they are not going to look at the the total sales Mm. anymore, but they're going to look at the title of the game and uh, the, the a number of hours that kind of go into it when they're talking about compensation at the end of it. That makes sense. Um, I mean, like David Hayter was mentioning, which we're going to let him do it properly yeah. because he's far better at this, but a lot of it has to come from the fact that all these voice actors don't even know what projects they're working on. They just know they're playing this character, mm-hmm. and even then it might be a code name and all mm-hmm. this stuff, so they can't really get credit for it until the game comes on. The game might be three years down the road. Yeah, yeah. They don't know. They might be doing an indie project. They might be doing a AAA major release, and they don't know. Mm-hmm. They know they're playing a guy named Steve or whatever mm-hmm. it is. So they're playing this, like, two-week project of just doing voice like yeah sounds mm. things of that for two weeks then it goes away they get paid their whatever nominal paycheck and yeah. then well, a while later exactly yeah. so it, 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 compensation that's fair is yeah. kind of important of course i mean i know developers are saying well they some of them don't break even things like that but people that do spend this much time on these games should get fair compensation for sure yeah exactly but that kind of as as, as should anybody i mean the industry has the weight behind it now yeah it's not like games like 10 years ago even. it's no longer mm-hmm. people in the office just happen to be doing voice work for this game yeah they're putting they're getting professional level actors and like musicians and stuff on these projects they should be treating them as any other interactive or media yeah so exactly. if, if they're if they're getting the same amount of money that a lot of these hollywood movies are making they should be paying similar wages to what some of these hollywood yeah. movies are making yeah so good on them yep and uh, so, Phil, you have some movie and TV news for us today. I do. I have a whole bunch of it right, woo woo. right here. That's so exciting. Um, so, yeah, the first thing, this is, uh, this is very important to me, is that um, last week I reported that um, Fast and Furious 9 was going to be delayed by a year, which I, was it, really it, upsetting. It made my heart strong. Really upsetting for yeah. me. I threw up. But yeah. there was, I, I know, the news. I know, but there was a silver lining that came out this week that was very exciting, which <gasps> is that the reason it's been delayed is that in uh, in in 2019, where Fast Nine was supposed to come out, they're actually making a The Rock and Jason Statham spinoff movie from the Fast Furious franchise, and that's why. Mm. And it's apparently caused a huge rift within the Fast family. <laughs> and, um, and when that's why, um, yeah, no, uh, 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 Vin Diesel released a post where he said that um, he was thrilled about this, that Universal is giving him the time he needs to make the Fast and Furious movie that the fans deserve. So that's why. Yeah. Everything got pushed aside and delayed so he could have more time yeah. with Fast Nine, which is reassuring. And uh, Tyrese very upset. Tyrese was upset. I <laughs> very saw. Upset. I saw a bit of that uh, back and forth. Very upset. And he said that he had this weird post where he said that like he was calling out The Rock and saying that they had like a talk in his car and the making of the movie. And he thought The Rock understood the importance <laughs> of keeping everything together and didn't understand why he was putting them apart. Maybe The Rock just didn't understand the meaning of family. Apparently, yeah, that's the thing. So. Well, if- you know, dad makes a billion dollars a year and everybody else is making <laughs> minimum wage. Yeah, yeah, it's an issue. Yeah, so that happened. And then um, and then The Rock posted a big thing about it. And he hashtagged it. No candy asses allowed. Which was a nice, <laughs> which was a nice throwback. 
for the previous one. Oh, so so kind of, all kinds of dumb. I'm very excited about it because, like, I actually, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but I actually think I'd be more excited about a movie about The Rock and Jason Statham with a Fast and Furious budget yeah. than a Fast and Furious movie. So oh, yeah. this is going to be great. Now, as to whether or not this is a full spinoff movie or this is going to be because there was a planned trilogy. You know, there's a yeah. plot uh, that they arced over three films involving Charlize Theron's villain. She's apparently the villain in this. So I hope this doesn't mean we get one less Fast and I, Furious I want movie, at least four movies with Charlize Theron. Because yeah. that's not right. No. I hope that that doesn't impede like the overall plans for we, things. We need to know how she interacts with Dom, because that's, that's the big story. Here, exactly, yeah. exactly. But the fact that like someone's going to spend $200 million for The Rock and Jason Statham to have a good time sounds good to me. Has Jason Statham ever been in a movie that big a budget? Well, the last two Fast and Furious movies. Other than Fast and Furious movies. Maybe The Expendables? No, those were done on the cheap. Oh, were they? they? Okay, I I just figured they had to spend a lot of money to get everybody in on them. No, most of them work pretty cheaply. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, they were still like $100 or something. But not Fast and the Furious. But not Fast and Furious money, yeah. But, um, so anyway, so that's exciting. Um, Next up... um, Oh yeah, so Sony has purchased the rights of Settlers of Catan. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> right. and they're planning and they're hoping to launch a franchise. With it's it. like a cinematic yeah. universe. I heard. Which for like her. over what? Like people battling over resources yeah. to like well, build a community. Training sheep for wood. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't see this is a, medi- a standard medieval story. Like there's nothing there. Yeah, and there's not even like action involved. No, like, I'm at hoping least, it'll like, be like a Jumanji esque. You know, some kids get sucked into the game world. Get sucked I, into well, I really want it to be a coming-of-age story of one man's quest to own all the wood property. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 this sounds stupid. I mean, it's very all bizarre. power to Sony. I mean, Christian movies can only pay them so much, so good on them. And apparently, it pays them a lot, though, Oh, it does. So, yeah. you know, Weirdly why not crack that board game crowd? Yeah, it just doesn't, like... Like, it's just even the title doesn't sound exciting. No. You know what I mean? Like, everything about it. Yeah. 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 Like, everything I could be playing it. video games, but I'm settling for this. <laughs> just everything about it I don't get. What I'd really rather see is a movie adaptation of Oregon Trail. Okay. Yeah. A big budget. Yeah. That would be better. I feel that's With like an every... extended <laughs> dysentery death scene. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I literally think that's every Western ever. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Oregon Trail specific. Or Stagecoach. It's kind of like Stagecoach. <laughs> but... Mm-hmm. Uh yeah so anyway that's, that's the thing. thing yeah yeah so um uh next up um in one of the many good things that John Wick has given the world um it's made uh, Keanu Reeves financially viable enough that they're seriously talking about making the third Bill and Ted movie again I'm I, very yeah, excited I about, about yeah. that like maybe a year ago yeah ago, they've been talking but... about it for ages and uh, I'm I'm really into I love the Bill and Ted movies yeah, I think are... they're very cleverly written and the like concept for this third one is that it's Bill and Ted realizing that like they should have saved the world at this point so in their lives based it's on the timeline happened. but it hasn't happened so, I mean, so what I they remember, do I, and they don't I was understand talking about this on the podcast like two years ago yeah, yeah, yeah. that exact plot yeah 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 so that's they're still pushing it on that and they've now said they have the, they have a title they're moving forward and it's called bill and ted face the music that's which pretty, is great that's, that's, that's pretty, pretty good that's pretty clever. Clever. Yeah. great which is pretty great what has alex winter been doing for the last he's a directs documentaries now oh. he's the one that did the Na- the napster documentary that came out oh, okay. a couple years ago and he did one on um uh, oh God! What was the the anonymous the hacking group? Anonymous? Oh, okay, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So he's, he's yeah he's doing okay. Not as not as, not as well as John Wick, obviously. No, but, no. But still, he's yeah. So anyway, that's coming. I hope so. And uh, also, um, in terms of long uh, delayed sequels that no one needs, um, they've hired another writer to work on the Beetlejuice screenplay. So no one, still n- literally, around. no one needs that. No, yeah. 
I would go see another Beetlejuice movie. I mean, yeah. I would. I definitely I would. would. I definitely would. I mean, like, no like, questions even asked. the cartoons still yeah, hold yeah. some fond memories for, for me. For sure. No but, questions asked. But And Keaton's had kind of a cool comeback in the totally past has, few years which, as well, right? Totally, so. which is why I'd imagine they're even talking about it. Yeah. But, like, they've been may, they've been writing failed Beetlejuice scripts for, oh, yeah, no. like, 30 years now. So I don't have too much hope. But, you know, every now and then when someone mentions it, I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go for that. Um, also, uh, Sylvester Stallone is now going to direct Creed 2. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, which is interesting because there was a whole thing about him, the, the humble aspect of him not directing Creed and letting someone else come in. Yeah. And now and he's, he's like, oh, <laughs> successful. <laughs> so he went right in and taking to, over. Uh, yeah, yeah. And taking it right over. And the plot is apparently about uh, Creed is Apollo Creed's son trained by Rocky. Um, being challenged to a fight by Ivan Drago's son. You know what? I'm sold. That's cool. <laughs> sure. Well, if well, Dolph Lundgren shows up in like a fatherly mentorship role, yeah, I'd yeah. be pretty stoked on that. Well, what's frustrating is like I remember saying as a joke after seeing Creed, it's yeah. like, boy, I can't wait for the sequel. It fights Mr. T's <laughs> kid and Drago's kid. And that's literally the idea that Dolph <laughs> Salam is working on. Which, I mean, it will be intriguing because as we all remember in Rocky Four, Rocky single-handedly ended the Cold War. All well, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's how it ended. Yeah. So presumably this fight We'll figure out what's going on. Good old-fashioned American hard work and farm training. Totally, yeah. So presumably this will work out the current tensions with U.S. and Russia, which are really important. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know. Basically, he's doing the world a service. In the end, it's going to do good. Yeah, it's going to do a lot of good. Um, Also, Gar Verbinski, who did... uh, uh, The the first three parts of the Caribbean movies and Rango and Mouse Hunt. Uh, He's now the latest director who signed on to do the Channing Tatum and Gambit movie. Oh, that's been... That's in and out, thing, yeah. I don't, up and down, eh? I don't really believe that it will happen. No. Mm-hmm. Um, this, yeah, this is. I think he's like the fourth director so yeah, far. It's never happening. It's, it's so, just not. It seems like it's just Channing Tatum's passion project. Yeah. Like he really wants to do it. He kind of wants it to exist, so it's yeah, gonna yeah. exist, I guess. Yeah. He's like, I really wish this existed. Yay. Yeah. And it's like, we don't care. But I didn't realize Gambit was such like a reviled character. In no, the, it's the not X-Men reviled. No one cares. Gun. Yeah, no, it's Man, yeah. When I was like eight years around. old, he was awesome. Well, that's the yeah. thing. It switched around during the '90s. He was easily one of those popular, yeah. and now yeah. everyone's like, oh, it was bad. terrible. Yeah, it was yeah, very yeah. '90s-y. It yeah. was. It was. Um, I mean, I would definitely go see a Gambit movie. Sure. Like, I wouldn't be. I'm not as excited about it as pretty well any other X Men. No. Yeah. But anyway, so we'll see if that happens. Most likely not. And then uh, Universal, who boldly announced their Universal Monster <laughs> uh, franchise this year, have uh, canceled Bride of Frankenstein. Well, after the <laughs> stunning success of The Mummy, yeah. which actually I think did super well in China, but it other did. than like bombed. It did. It did okay world, worldwide, but not enough for what they were hoping yeah. it would do. No, and thank I God. Think everyone's it was also radically, bad. Yeah, well, there's that too. And so I think everyone's radically <laughs> rethinking that, which is, you know, for That's the a good thing. It's a good idea. Yeah. yeah, for the best. So anyway, and that's that. Okay. Cool. It was an exciting week. Yeah. Mm. Well, um, we'll have our interview after the break, so why don't we just get right into... Uh, no, let's, let's have a break, and then we'll come back and wrap up after that. Okay. Well, we'll yeah. have, I guess we're having a break. Yeah. <laughs> we'll hear from Buns Podcast Network and Comic Bendo. Pixels and Ink Podcast is brought to you by Buns, your city network. Buns connects you to the people in your neighborhood to help you find the things you need to fuel your real life. Swap things you already have to get items you need. You can also find jobs that pay the bills, homes for rent, advice, and a place to talk about your city. Buns is available online at buns.com and on your phones via the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. Thanks, Buns Podcast Network and Comic Bento. We have a special guest today on Pixels and Ink, uh, the illustrious David Hayter. 
He's a writer, a director, most famously known as the voice of Solid Snake in the Metal Gear series. Um, he's done countless TV and movie appearances, and he's a general nice guy. Currently, he's working in conjunction with Buns on a new show called Fair Trade that's uh, going to be coming out at the end of October. We had a great time talking to him, so I uh, hope you enjoyed the segment. Right now, you're doing numerous voice acting projects. Can you speak to some of the stuff you're working on right now? Uh, well, a few of them. Uh, you know, some of them are, are secret, but I am part, I was part of a Kickstarter campaign to do a game uh, with, the, with Kogi Igarashi, who created Castlevania. Uh, called Bloodstained, which um, I believe they're doing the Japanese voices now, and I'll be recording that fairly soon. Uh, I just uh, recorded the first chapter of the story section of The Long Dark, which is a, a big um, A-list Canadian uh, winter survival game, which, which is very, very cool. And uh, what else? I'm still the lead Jedi voice, uh, player voice Star Wars Ill Republic, and I'm King Shark on The Flash, uh, among other things. Now, uh, the Buns was letting us know that you were working with something for them. Do you want to discuss that project? Is that fair trade? Yes. Yes. Uh, yes, my friends at Buns, which uh, is a, a sentence I've never said. Um, <laughs> we uh, uh, did a show called Fair Trade, um, which is about... Uh, adorable young Torontonians trying to get by on the barter economy, and uh, they asked me if I would play a role in the pilot as a uh, sketchy mechanic who may be a little mobbed up, and uh, uh, I was honored to do so, and I came up to Toronto to, to shoot it way back in January, and uh, and it was awesome and hilarious, and the cast is great, and the producers were amazing, and it was just a lot of fun to do. Well, that sounds fantastic. Have you done a lot of um, like these independent projects like this? Yeah, here and there. Um, I uh, yeah, '98, I produced an independent movie, uh, you know, for about a quarter million dollars uh, called the uh, called Burn, and um, my first lead role in a movie was a movie called Guyver Dark Hero, which was a, a independent sci-fi. Things. So, yeah, I've, I've been lucky enough to, to work on very big movies, big studio movies, and and, um, and also, you know, little independent projects. I'm, I'm, I'm in a movie um, that we shot in Sudbury called Buckout Road, which is on the festival circuit right now. And, mm -hmm. uh, um, so, yeah, I, I, I love – I mean, look, the food is a lot better on the big studio movies. <laughs> and, um, and you can – I remember we were in the Toronto Harbor once, and the, and the people from the city said to Brian Singer, they pointed to this giant oil tanker, and they said, we can move that if, if you need us to. And I said, Brian, you have to make them move that oil tanker. You know, <laughs> like, like, take it out and spin it around or something. Um, so you don't get that kind of uh, power on independent films, but you do get a really, you always get a really committed group of people working very, very hard to do something with not much money. And, and uh, there's always a lot of love involved in those projects. And it's really, really fun. And Fair Trade was certainly uh, a, a prime example of that. Now, you are no stranger to, like, geek-based culture media. 
Um, are you a fan of the media of that sort of genre yourself, or did you just kind of fall into it at some point? No, I, I think I think I was I was slotted into it by the industry because I I was such a geek myself. Um, you know, the reason I worked on the the, the X Men movies was because I had been a fan of the comic books. Um, I, I yeah, I always as an actor, I always got cast in comic book style things. I mean, it's just you know, I think my love of of, of uh, genre sci fi and fantasy and such, um, I don't know, maybe made me more enthusiastic in my mm-hmm. auditions or meetings, and uh, and that's that's the path that I was put on, which is great because it's it's really where I'm where I love to be. Now, what was your first project that was kind of in the geek realm, and how did you kind of get into that one? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> project in the, well, I, I, you know, I was, I, I went to high school in, in Kobe, Japan, mm-hmm. and when I was 16, I was asked to do voice work for Japanese arcade games, which were coming to the States, and I, I don't, they never told us what games they were. <laughs> um, well, how, I guess how, those would would probably be the first. I'm sorry, Lisa. Oh, I was, yeah, I was going to say, how do you how did you get into that? Did they like scope you out at your school or like? Uh, the producers came to my school mm-hmm. and they said we need four English speaking guys, and uh, somehow I ended up on that list. I think I was probably doing a, a school play or something, so they knew I was an actor. Mm-hmm. And they just sent us down to this uh, this weird little studio in Kobe, and and we did it, and uh, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. So that's probably the first. Um, and then that movie, Geiger Dark Hero, I played mm. a, uh, it's based on a Japanese anime uh, and manga. I was a, a swoopy haired young man who, who who was infected with an alien set of bio <laughs> armor that allowed me to fight monsters. So that. I think that would qualify as pretty. I think so. Yeah, that's pretty. It's pretty geeky. Yeah, that was '93. We shot that in '93. Wow. And so you, you you've done numerous aspects of media. You work. You're a writer. You're an actor. You're a voice actor. What are things that you consider the most fun for you to do? Do you enjoy the writing more? Do you enjoy the acting more? The voice acting. Where does your heart fall? Well, they're all great jobs. It's all great work if you can get it. Um, I would say acting is the most fun job mm-hmm. there is, and and voice acting in particular is, is really, uh, really just a blast, and the people are like the nicest in the industry. Um, but I don't enjoy the career of acting, you know, tr- having to survive by auditioning and, and scraping by. So you know, the writing certainly pays better and is a little more intellectually fulfilling. Um, I, I directed a movie in 2014 called Wolves, which, you know, directing really requires knowledge of many, many different um, elements from management to music to color to photography to directing actors. Uh, you know, that, that's the most challenging. So, um, you know, the bottom line is I, I love it all. Uh, but some things are more fun and some things are more work. <laughs> yeah. If that makes any sense. <laughs> oh, it totally does. Absolutely. So, um, so it seems like just 
because you're talking a little bit more about that, directing seems to be the direction of passion you have right now. Uh, is there anything else in the future where we might see you on the in the director's chair? Yeah, I, I you know I definitely it's I, I think directing is the most challenging, the most uh, the most fulfilling, and the most frustrating job in the world. Um, <laughs> and and I do I do love it, and I would really love to do more of it. So yeah, I have a um, I have a, a feature script I'm attached to that that we're we're talking to studios about right now, and then. This fall, I'm taking out a couple of TV shows that I've created. Uh, so if if I'm lucky enough to have any of those go, I, I you know I will probably direct some episodes along the way. Um, so yeah, that's my plan. Cool. We'll have to keep our eyes out for that. Now, I, I, this might be a topic you might not this might be a topic you might want not want to talk about, but I recently saw that the voice acting strike has been settled. Uh, are you pleased with the yeah. settlement, or do you feel that's enough in the right direction, or do you feel there could be more? I was incredibly pleased. I mean, I, you know, the voice actors had asked me to take part in the initial negotiations and, and discussions, and I had advised SAG, uh, the SAG mem- the core SAG members, that. I think they needed to go for a strike authorization because that's the only thing that would give them leverage. Mm-hmm. And then the strike went on for so long uh, that I really, I, I felt badly that I had, I mean, I, I think it was the right thing to do, but it caused a lot of pain. And um, and I'm really glad that it's over. As for the result, I, I'm amazed. I can't believe that the actors got the concessions that they did. The, the, the companies were dead set against um, providing any bonuses or anything that looked like residuals to to actors at all, even though the the amounts that they were looking for were really, really nominal. And and they won. They got it. They, you know, after a while, after almost a year, the companies um, capitulated. and, and, And I think it became, hopefully it became clear to them that, that, that the people that work at the top of the voiceover industry are there for a reason and they work faster, they work better. They, they are more talented and more efficient than, than anybody else in the world. And it's very difficult to make triple a list games without them. So, um, so I'm really, really happy with the way it worked out. And I really appreciate game companies for, um, for, for coming around on, on, on that issue instead Mm -hmm. of just, you know, going for a total scorched earth yeah. <laughs> outcome. You know, but, but big, if so we in the media have been covering the, the kind of the treatment of voice actors for a while, but it's easy to write about it. It's hard to actually live it. Why was it so important yeah. that this thing actually happened, and how were voice actors treated before this point? Because I mean, we've written about it, and we've written like stories about like fourteen-hour days, etc. But that's it's easy to write about it, as I said. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> Certainly harder to voice it. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, how were they treated before? Well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I was in kind of a unique position because I, I have this writing career that really pays my bills. And, mm-hmm. and so if I, if I do a voiceover job, I'm in a better position to say, you know, I want this for my contract. I want that for my contract. And if they don't give it to me, I just don't take the job. So I, I was in a very unique um, situation there. But for people who are not in a position to negotiate, which is 
you know, everybody, but everybody else, but the, but the top, top celebrities, um, you know, you were stuck getting scale. Very often you'd be cast in a triple A list game and they wouldn't tell you what the game was until the, until it came out. So you wouldn't know, you know, is this a little independent thing or is this a hundred million dollar game? Mm-hmm. Um, there were issues of vocal safety, you know, having to scream and do impact sounds, and uh, which I've done a lot of, you know, as, as uh, the character Snake in the Metal Gear series, I was electrocuted and fell off buildings and had my arm broken and, <laughs> you know, just, uh, just vocally. But, um, but all of that stuff is, is really, really rough on the voice, and so they wanted concessions. For, for vocal protection, things like that. And um, and there was no avenue, really, for for an actor uh, with no leverage to get any sort of bonus payment if your game went out and, and made a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And, and that just just wasn't right. So, um, so the, you know, they've managed to make to make some some inroads on, on that front. And I, I, I think it's good for the industry. That's awesome, and yeah, it's, it's it's fantastic to see that companies are kind of respecting the voice actors, because games today really need that kind of voice talent to make them that triple A quality that we kind of grown to expect, and you kind of want to see the people behind those scenes get the compensation they deserve and protections they deserve. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I mean, you know, and this was sort of my argument back in the day working on on Metal Gear was, you know, if I starred in nine movies that made billions of dollars, I'd be making $20 million a, a, a film. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the video game industry was just not not set up for that. So, um, but, but when you hear Nolan North in a game or Troy Baker or Jennifer Hale or some of these top, top people, you feel the difference and the game is better. And because games are so cinematic now, uh, it is vitally important that that the lead character, that all the characters, draw you in and, and um, immerse you in that world, and and that's worth um, that's worth supporting. Now, this is this is more of a personal question, one that I've always wondered. But as someone that has worked on both sides of gaming and film, why is it that we have not yet seen a, a competent film recreation of a game? <laughs> <laughs> so is that, that well, I think he's asking you know I think I think he's like he's, he's asking you for like this is your mission essentially <laughs> he's he's giving you a task right. David so <laughs> right well uh, you know there's a couple of reasons I and I I I've, I've looked into this myself because I do have a foot in both worlds and I can tell you the the the, the two industries are very very different they mm. they do not Film people and video game people do not understand each other. They do not understand how their respective mediums dovetail and where they are radically different. And, and um, you know, in movie studios, they know how to make movies and they don't want interference from the game people. The game people want creative influence uh, because they feel that they know their product. And there's a, there's a huge amount of... of mistrust and and miscommunication between the two industries and as, as somebody who feels like i understand both i you know i i've been involved in a couple of these um 
crossovers or, or discussions thereof, and it's just very difficult to, to get both sides to um, to communicate properly and to come up with an end product that satisfies everyone. It, it's um, it's just a lot harder than you think. You know, people mm-hmm. think, oh, the game is amazing and it's so much like a movie. Why don't they just film that? And it's like, well, okay, you can't do that because it's already been done. <laughs> Second of all, the storytelling in a video game is very different from the way it's told in a movie. You know, the, and 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 when there's a hundred to two hundred million dollars at stake in the budget, the the controls and the level of fear are are astronomical. So. Um, uh, so that's 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 pretty much why that is. There's, there's just you know there needs to be somebody who who stands astride both industries who can communicate what makes a green great into a great a, 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 a well produced movie. So what do you think would take to get it to that point then? To be that person, what what would as you if it was if it was you, what would you say to make it happen? Well, if it was me <laughs> and I was working on a video game adaptation at a movie studio, I would um, communicate with the president of the studio that philosophy. How clearly I understand why the fans of the video game love the video game. What elements to be a part of it to make it gain new fans when it goes onto the onto the screen in the same way uh, for example that Peter Jackson was able to communicate why Lord of the Rings worked in book form and he was able to communicate to new line how to translate that to film and they listened to him so that's the, that's the key component you know mm-hmm. I, mean, I talk to studio presidents all the time whether or not they they listen to you or, or, or <laughs> faith in you is, is a different issue. But, um, but, you know, sometimes as a writer or a director or producer, you make a connection with the person pulling the, pulling the strings at the studio and they, and they put their faith in you and they say, okay, let's, let's go with your direction. And, and, um, but again, that's, that's hard to do, especially if you're not um, Peter Jackson, <laughs> <laughs> which I am not. Fair enough. So you, you mentioned all these projects you're working on right now. Um, how did you get involved with Buns for the first things? I, I really, I know Buns wants us to talk about them, so let's let's dive into that quickly, and then I can let you go. Yeah, no, uh, well, uh, Buns, um, I was at the Toronto Fan Expo the year before last, uh, doing an appearance there, and afterwards I went out for uh, beers, because it's Toronto with you do here. my... Canadian friends, and um, uh, an actress friend of mine, Adrian Kress, an actress, uh, novelist friend of mine, um, introduced me to Scott Lever, who was the producer of Fair Trade, and he, you know, he, I mean, saw people asking for my autograph and saying I was great, and he asked me if I would uh, be interested in doing a appearing in this this um, sitcom pilot that he was putting together. And I, I kind of have a rule about on-camera acting. You, you, you know, if you ask me to do it, I'll, I'll probably do it. <laughs> good rule. Because it's just, it's really fun. And I had not done a sitcom since I appeared in Major Dad 
again in 1993, and that was so, and it was so much fun, and I love, I love doing things where I get to be funny. Yeah. But so sure, and um, and I didn't know if it would come together or not, and then, you know, around a, towards January last year or, or this this year, uh, I got the call saying we've got it all together. Here's your script. Here's when we're shooting, and I flew up and I did it, and it was so great. Um, their, their cast was amazing, great improv actors, and and another thing they did, which which is very rare for independent um, productions, is they let us do take after take after take. Uh, you know, usually you get two, three takes and you're out. Mm. But for comedy, you really want to try things. You really want to settle into the scene. You really want to do some things where it might be too far, it might be over the top or, or whatever. And mm-hmm. they let us do all these, these things, and it really helped the performances and, and really makes the comedy work. And, and so, uh, yeah, I was just really thrilled and honored to be a part of it. Awesome. Now, I just have one more question that I, just, I, I, I thought of as you were discussing. You've done numerous video game characters in numerous different games. What, do you have a character that you are most fond of and kind of connect with most, or do every one of the characters bring you something different? Yeah, I think they all bring bring me something different. I, I, I don't think you can play something properly without loving the character, so I, you know, I, I fall in love with them all, really. Um, but I think... Solid Snake and and um, and and Big Boss from from Metal Gear. That was the longest I'd ever worked on a single character, and certainly the one that I'm best known for. Um, and those stories were so uh, long and and cinematic and in depth that you really really got to know the character. So so I, I, I guess I would say that Snake is is the one that I'm closest to. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that is when everyone, when you think of David Hayter, you automatically think of Solid Snake, even though you've done That's so much right. wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, from Metal Gear. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's uh, and and yeah, and it's and the other thing that I love about Snake is it's 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 like being the voice of Homer Simpson or something. You, mm-hmm. I can just if somebody's a fan, I can just do the voice and it makes them instantly happy and. That's a really remarkable power to have in this dark, sad world. So, uh, it's uh, it's that that that's one of my favorite aspects as well. Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> like you. you, good. you... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you you don't even see the smiles over here on this end, but <laughs> there's there's a lot. Yeah. Change. No. It's, well, it's, it's you know, I, I I meet a lot of fans at the at the at fan expo or the comic cons or whatever, and just you know, you do the voice for them or be some shy kid and and you know I'll, I'll i'll say you know come here scott and i'll lean up to his ear and say scott i need your help going after metal gear and <laughs> they just you know get so happy and their cheeks flush red and it's just it's a really nice little uh superpower to have so <laughs> oh absolutely that's got to be really great okay so i have one amazing burning question uh, a few yeah. years ago, I saw you in a band playing in Toronto. Um, oh, you were there? I was there. I was there. So how's your music career going? Oh, and are we going to hear more? Well, <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I know. I think uh, Bruce Springsteen, for example, I think is getting a little nervous. Yes, um, he should because you were awesome. Uh, 
No, you know, first of all, I was not awesome, but thank you. <laughs> hey, man, I'm a harsh critic. If I say you're awesome, you were awesome. Thank you. Well, look, I can I can chord my way through an electric guitar mm-hmm. riff here and there, and and uh, and I can sing a little bit. And, but but you know what I love most about the music is not my career. I'm not pursuing it. I yeah. just do it purely for fun mm-hmm. and without any pressure on it. It's it, it's really a delight. So yeah, I have a few people that I play with in in. Um, in Toronto, and we played at a few different pubs, and it's awesome. I mean, it's just a totally different headspace from from writing, certainly, and, and from mm-hmm. acting, and uh, it's it's just an absolute blast every time I get to do it. But but like I say, one of the one of the best parts about it is not my career. I'm not trying to make money doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just pure badass fun. Yeah. As, as being in a rock band is. That's the definition of <laughs> rocking hair. Well, well, that's what it should be. And, yeah. But, you know, I've got some friends who are legitimate rock stars, and their mm-hmm. lives are hard. You know, they, they've got a tour and travel and, and get constantly hassled by fans. And it, it's, it's a really, really brutally exhausting business. And, and so, um, you know, I really feel for people that make their living making music. It's an amazing thing to do, but, but it is. It is a serious job, and, and I'm glad I don't have to deal with that, that side of it. <laughs> yeah, I totally understand that. that uh, just, I guess like any, like any art form, when you make it your career, it stops being as fun because of the business ends that you have to handle with everything. And Yeah, I mean, it's like I grew up loving movies, and mm-hmm. now it's, it, A, I don't have time to see movies. Yeah. I'm working on movies. And B, I can't watch a movie without analyzing every scene, every bit of dialogue, every word, every acting choice, every shot, all the framing, the editing, the music. It, 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 you know, you have to train yourself to continue to enjoy movies on a basic level mm-hmm. when the other side of your brain is just pulling them apart. So, so yeah, a job, a career in something you love can really affect your love of that uh, medium. Totally. I still can't go see a jazz band without getting a little bit <laughs> nervous and counting right. chords. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's always there. Exactly. Um, Thank you so much, David. That was you gave us some really interesting insights and uh, many different things. Anything you also want to wrap up about just the people should look out for you in in the next little while? Well, uh, you know, keep an eye out for, for Buckout Roads, a uh, little horror movie. Um, will you, will that be in wide release or just VOD and things like that? I have no idea. I think they're they're still setting it up now. It's, it's, it's doing the festival circuit, but it's winning some awards. So should, you know, I'm sure, I, I don't know when it's coming out, but it should should come out early next year. Okay. Um, and then, and please, you know, check out Fair Trade uh, through Bell. Um, uh, because I, you know, I love the cast. I think it's a very funny show, mm-hmm. and it's so Canadian, which mm-hmm. I love in all the best ways. And and so, um, you know, really go out and, and check it out. They're doing good work. Amazing. Well, thanks again for uh, taking the time to talk to us. We really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure, guys. Thank you for having me. I'll be back anytime. Man, I wish I could get new comics every month, but I'm broke and oddly always $5 short. Lame. Wait, five bucks short, you say? Well, I've got something special for you. What the hell was that? 
It's me, the discount ghost of Coupons Past. Are you scared? What the f- Use the code CGMEG in all caps, all one word, to get $5 off your next comic bento subscription. So wait, if I use the code CGMEG all in caps, all one word, I get $5 off my next comic bento? Yes, use the code CGMEG in all caps, all one word, and get $5 off your next comic bento. A whole $5, eh? Now that's scary. Thanks, Comic Bento and Buns Podcast Network. <laughs> uh, anyway, Phil. Yes. I heard you saw a movie you absolutely loved. Yeah, yeah. Your review was just dripping with praise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. couldn't believe it. I know. I, you've never been so generous with remarks know, before. I know, I know, yeah. So no. tell us about it. Yeah, so it's a happy death day, which um, is, yeah, I'm sure you've, I'm sure you're aware of it, given that it's been incessantly marketed to the point of... I think every like, single YouTube ad has been yeah. that for the last Really, while. yeah, to the point where it's really upsetting. And, like, they clearly desperately want it to turn into a horror franchise. Yeah. Um, so the concept is basically is basically Groundhog Day with mm-hmm. a slasher, which, like, I thought, like, totally on the surface, I actually thought was kind of a fun idea, Sounds because like then idea, it's a yeah. slasher movie where, like instead of a group of teens being killed, it's the same teen being killed over and yeah. over until it solves everything. I mean, to be fair, it's the same kind of gimmick that the Final Destination kind of worked on, where you, how is this kill going to happen? You don't really, the characters are disposable. Basically. Yeah. Well, no, it, no, the opposite. I know. Because it's the same character. I know, but the fact that it's the kills that are really the kind of the exciting, like how is yeah. he going to die this time? Yeah, 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 totally. Um, so, so, yeah, and I was, and, and yeah, and, and I don't, like, it's weird that Groundhog Day knockoffs have become a genre, but like yeah, I've accepted sure. it, and I did like Edge of Tomorrow quite a bit, so I was willing to go for this. And there are bits where I enjoyed it, but overall, it was just yeah, it was really upsetting. But why does it ever explain why he's trying to kill this one person? Well, over? no, well that's the problem. I mean, we'll get there. So <laughs> okay. it's so yeah, it's about um, yeah Jessica Roth stars as this uh, like really horrible. Uh, sorority girl who just like doesn't like anyone is cruel to everyone is self-destructive is mean to her family and just really needs some sort of supernatural hand to come in of course and show her how to be a good person so fortunately that happens and uh yeah we we see her long as the other thing that was interesting watching this is like groundhog day being such a formula now like having to tediously sit through the first time you see the day where it's like okay so here's where all the extras come out and do their thing so i can watch that happen again a dozen times and all the different bits and pieces, and then yeah, at the end of it, she gets killed, and it's also her birthday. So yeah, okay, I was like, exciting. okay, that's cool. Um, <laughs> and then yeah, and then it keeps repeating, and like she wakes up, she like wakes up in next to like a dorky guy who she eventually realizes that she shouldn't have been dismissive of that he's actually like a really nice guy with a heart of gold. Of course, yeah, of course. And, and he's like a movie geek, so he kind of like can relate to what's happening, give her advice, and he suggests that she try to figure out who's trying to kill her. That's probably like a mystery. Um, and that leads to like the best part of the movie, which is a little montage where she goes around trying to figure out who the killer is and just keeps getting killed in like hilarious Looney Tunes ways. But the problem <laughs> with it is the problem with it is is that which is actually kind of fun. But like the, yeah, the first like tonally the problem is that like the movie doesn't know what it is. There are mm. times where it's like silly slapstick. There are times where it's supposed to be like a very earnest drama where she gives like a very heartfelt speech to her father. There are times where like they're trying to play it as straight scary. And it's just all over the place. And I understand, like, conceptually why they want to do that, since they can keep repeating this mm. and do variations on a theme. But at a certain point, like, I don't even know what's going on. 
and then and we'll get into like spoiler territory without giving thing away but what really really irritated me about it was that when they finally come around i was like i can't wait to find out how this killer has this power mm-hmm. to make her repeat the day and it turns out it has nothing to do with that the killer's just like a person that had a normal motivation to kill her and like she was just in this Groundhog Day loop to be a learn how to be a better person in a complete coincidence <laughs> that had nothing to do with the killer, and like, and even if they want to play that game, fine. But there are so many times where like it's clear the killer must have superpowers to pull off what he's what the killer's able to do, how the killer's able to kill her. But this just they just don't touch it's on that. Dude. It's just this. It's not well. I mean, it's a person, uh-huh. and and, and <laughs> well, that makes it real ambiguous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's just like and and yeah, and I just left angry. I was just like, you know, you don't have to explain how. Like even Edge of Tomorrow, they were just like, well, there's that glow in the dark bug thing That's that makes it happen. Yeah. And I was like, That's fine. I can go with that. Mm-hmm. I can. Oh, I can. Now I have something, and I yeah. can go by. But like to just yeah, to just make it this weird coincidence. And then like they're trying so hard to make it a franchise. But I don't understand how it would be because I guess it's just like whatever benevolent spirit just looks for people who are going to get killed on their birthday and then like forces them in this time loop and imbues the person that wants to kill them with superpowers. <laughs> and it makes no sense. And the like, yeah, and they have this whole like mask and outfit for the killer, but that's all very specifically related to the school and it's like the mascot for the school. Right. So does that mean like this benevolent spirit decides to then gift this like baby killer mask <laughs> to future killers so that they can get it's just. It's it's irritating. It's very irritating. See, you don't see it being the next horror franchise. Well, that's the thing is that it's been marketed to death. And when I left the theater, I like was like expecting everyone to be like, "What nonsense!" But other people did like it, mm-hmm. and not getting horrible reviews. And it's also like, and another one of my problems with it is that it's very PG thirteen to appeal to the massive crowd, which like that's fine. There are good PG thirteen more movies, but if you're gonna do a slasher movie, the whole point. Is, the is to have elaborate gore and silly and, kills. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So they don't even have that. But as a result of that, like, you know, it's a movie coming out on Friday the 13th in October that yeah. will be able to play through Halloween and geared at kids and yeah. they can go to it. Yeah. And they haven't seen Scream or Groundhog Day. And get. So they don't quite yeah, understand. Yeah, it's all fresh for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So un- well-treaded territory. Exactly. So unfortunately, like, I do think it might be a hit in the franchise. And that just irritates me. But the only thing that gives me hope is that um, it's Bloomhouse who did that Ouija horror movie. Which the, the second one was way better, right? Yeah, the second yeah. one was really good. The first one was abysmal. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's a chance that if this is successful that they can bring someone in to fix it. But it's just such a mess. And it just also irritated me that Bloomhouse, who, like, genuinely make really strong. Like, they yeah. made Get Out this year. Yeah. They, um, yeah, they, they did Sinister. They, like, generally have a sense of how to do a good horror movie. They, they just let this nonsense out there. That's it's just too really bad. frustrating. I'm surprised uh, Jigsaw didn't hit Friday the 13th, to be honest. Mm. They're waiting for Halloween weekend itself. Oh, that's fair. That's why they, that's always oh, been yeah, the... Ha- there's a new Saw movie oh, yeah, coming yeah. out. That's always been the Saw model. Oh, yeah. be the movie that comes out on Halloween weekend. Um, so, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that's the most frustrating thing, is that, like, it's not as loathed as I thought it would be, and... I think it will actually be successful. The way all the, pe- the way all the pieces are lining up. Just because there's very little else it's way against. There's little else. There's yeah. There's no competition. Horror movies are really popular again. Right. right. It's how it's October. Um, they you, marketed the hell out of it. They made sure it was PG-13 so kids can go. What was it cheap to make? Like was it a low budget? Yeah, it was fairly. Yeah, I mean all the Bloomhouse movies are capped. That's my million. point. Yeah. How so, much? Five, mil- five million. That's it. Oh yeah, wow. That's all they do. Yeah. Wow. All of them. Yeah. That's 
Yeah. I mean, in the terms of films, that is really cheap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They work really cheap. Well, they like all the like um, actors work for scale, and everyone shares in the profit after. Okay, so, so like, it's, it's deals like that. Okay, that makes sense. But um, so, I mean, if, if working at scale for yeah. a movie you know is going to do well seems yeah, like yeah. a bad idea. Well, I mean, the studio started with Paranormal Activity, right? That's fair. So yeah. like. They, they sort of have built it up, but it's still, yeah, they have, a, yeah, I mean, it works, right? Yeah. And I, and I believe, like, and I, and like, I think, like, the Purge sequels gradually got more money. I think they go between, they fluctuate between five to ten, but they're always, like, very, very, very cheap. Well, compared so, to, like, a Hollywood blockbuster, exactly. which is and there's 200. N- for sure. And there's no one in this. So I'm okay. sure they, they spent, like, five, so like six million dollars max. Um, so anyway. So yeah. it might, it'll make that money back easy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they obviously spent, like, you know, ten times that marketing it. So, so is the Conjuring Blumhouse and no, no. Okay, but they did in the Insidious movies. So confusing. Yeah, they yeah. all feel like they're all the same. Yeah, the same yeah. Studio. Well, those are both James Wan too. That so could be why. Overlap there, but um, yeah. Anyway, um, so that's a bummer. And then the other uh, genre movie that came out this week is The Foreigner with Jackie Chan and oh, Pierce yeah. Brosnan. Um, which yeah, so that is. Is that the one where Pierce Brosnan refuses to help Jackie Chan as some kind of? Yeah, yeah, bomb yeah. So, yeah, so like, like a, yeah, IRA bomb goes off. Exactly, yeah, an IRA for sure. Yeah, like an, an IRA bomb goes off in the first scene, kills Jackie Chan's daughter, and then uh, Pierce Brosnan plays a guy who used to be the head of the IRA is now like a Northern Irish politician who's like still like connected with people who are formerly in the IRA, but everyone's keeping the peace. So he like he knows someone in his organization is responsible, and like British government have told him to like to sort it out, or they will come after him personally. And then at the same time. Uh, Jackie Chan is, uh, as it turns out, former like super spy. Kind of like a Liam Neeson, yeah, Taken, it's, it's, sort a, it's of a totally, Taken yeah, kind of thing. Taken Rambo type situation. So he's out for justice on his own. Uh, Martin Campbell directed it, who did Goldeneye and Casino Royale and sure. Mask of Zorro. Okay. And um, yeah, what was weird about it? It like it's fine. Is the overall thing? Mm-hmm. It's totally fine. What was weird about it is like it was based on a novel, and I could tell watching it, it was like a pot boiler thriller with a couple explosions, and then they cast Jackie Chan and just added a couple Jackie Chan scenes, <laughs> and very few. And like they're great to see, like especially since the guy's in his sixties now. And there's one bit in particular where he like escapes from a boarding house and beats up a, go- bubble, a bunch of guys. It was very impressive because Martin Campbell is a very you know slick yet unfussy way of shooting action that's right. fantastic. But, yeah, I just, like, it just kept, I couldn't tell it was supposed to be, like, a hard-boiled thriller or a goofy action movie, and it couldn't tell. And with Jackie, and Jackie Chan, like, it was great to see Jackie Chan um, in uh, an, an American, uh, like, well, British, but North American yeah. production again. Uh, English language, I guess. And, um, but he, um, because he's playing, like, this wounded, stoic, like, Rambo type, yeah. like, he's fine. But, like, Jackie Chan's a movie star, not an actor. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, watching yeah. him, like, squeeze out a single tear... <laughs> is not like why I watch a Jackie Chan movie. No. And I couldn't help but feel like it probably would have worked better if they'd gotten like Chan Wook Park or no, it's not Chan Wook Park, uh, Chow Yun Fat. Yeah, yeah. Or an- another one of those Asian action stars of that era who wasn't known for like jump kicking choreography. So yeah. it could have been a more brutal movie to fit it. So that was a little uneasy. Um, Pierce Brosnan's Irish accent is horrible. Which is he- funny because he's from Northern Ireland. Yeah. No, isn't he Welsh? No, he's Northern Irish. Oh, is he Irish? Yeah. Oh, well, he's leaning into that in an awkward way. Really? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't great. It was distracting. I thought he was Welsh. Why didn't get that mistake? I guess it's Timothy Dalton's the Welsh Bond. He is He's the Irish Bond. Yeah. And, and Brosnan's the Irish Bond. Well, yeah, he's doing a little Lucky Charms with it. And I guess he's just lived in America so long. But, um, yeah, so it's fine. Um, yeah. It's like, if, yeah, if you want to see, like, a sad taken type movie but with jackie chan yeah yeah i don't know I'm <laughs> sold on that. i don't yeah. even like a taken 
I saw the first one. I didn't watch the follow-ups. Yeah. Well, they're, they're not good. For the guy well. who swore off action yeah, movies. Yeah, no, he was then. born in... I can't even come close to saying that, but that's where he's from. Yeah, County Louth somewhere. Oh, yeah, yeah that's very Irish. Yeah. I can't explain why that Irish accent was so <laughs> cartoonish then. Um, Maybe because actual Northern Irish accent isn't at what people think it is, so you yeah. want to make it as ridiculous I as I think possible. he was, yeah, like leaning into it just a little bit too hard. Like, but. people will need to know I'm Irish. Like, we know. I know, yeah. Well, anyway, that's a shame. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, that was all kinds of fine. Um, and then one movie I saw this week that I did really love is called The Florida Project. I've heard of this. Yeah. It was uh, by Sean Baker, did Tangerine, mm-hmm. a movie that came out a few years ago that was about the, the transgender uh-huh. prostitutes yeah. that shot on iPhones. So this, we got a budget for this one, and um, it's set in it's set in like all the cheap tourist tracks outside of Disney World in Orlando. Okay, yeah. So like everything looks like it's like it's set particularly in this really cheap motel that's painted like a big purple castle, and like you know there are ice cream stores, there are giant ice cream cones, there's like tour, yeah. there's like souvenir shops that are shaped like uh, mermaids or whatever. But it's about these very impoverished like group of children that live in these cheap motels with their kind of like dead lost deadbeat parents. Right, and so. For a long time, it's just sort of little vignettes of them, and it's very, very realistic and Is very it funny and weird. No, it's a it's a fiction film. Okay, but like the the fact that it's thrust against in this environment is both like fascinating because it's like sort of indicative of their like childish imaginations, right. and they're going to play on mermaids and everything. But at the same time, it's like rusted and gross because they're just cheap tourist tracks I mean, so like it's those, sad. those do exist so i was wondering if it actually was oh yeah no no it is the real place they okay. went there to send it, but it's not yeah well i mean like a lot of it's non-actors who he found like okay. the kids hadn't performed before they found there the only person who's even the like adult most of the adult actors are just people that were found either locally or in los angeles and the only like main the only like recognizable actor is Willem Dafoe who plays the like manager of the hotel and he actually plays like a very kindly very warm like father that figure for weird. everyone which is which is weird at first but then it's like because you just like attribute Willem Dafoe with all these creepy characters but the same but like when you're watching it because everyone else looks so naturalistic it's like nah, Willem Dafoe looks like he could probably run mm-hmm. a motel if he wasn't an actor <laughs> I could buy that but um yeah and what's cool about it is that it uh, yeah it plays out in this really like fascinating world and just all these odd little digressions and everything and then it just very gradually without even realizing it a plot does slowly come together that's really devastating um, and and really powerful in ways where like yeah you don't even realize it's happening until you're really? in the middle of it and then it has this really amazing um, uh, finale it's really really beautiful and uh, very surreal and odd without the sort of breaking the kind of mm-hmm reality of the event and yeah I think it's an incredible movie it's probably going to be one of the is best is that wide release or is it only um, I think it's select right now but they will roll it out wide I've, I'm sure it'll be end up being like an Oscar movie when that time of year rolls around um, is that good yeah it's really good but I'll, but not in a cheap way oh, like it's good. very yeah very off kilter and uh, very bizarre and uh, yeah I loved it so I encourage people to seek that out as opposed to the other two even, oh. though, they, even though they won't and uh, Quinn, you've been playing some Evil Within. Oh yeah, I have been playing some Evil Within. Um, I got to play a few chapters today. It should be up on the website. By the time you listen to this, the review and this will be on the website. Yes, and the interview that I did yep. with um, the game's directors and the screen or the writer for it. Nice, okay. cool. The screenplay writer, super nice guy too. I met him at QuakeCon. Oh right on. Um, yeah, it's a fun game. Reminds me a lot of The Last of Us, yeah, um, just with a bit more of a... It's much different, more different, because I played the same section you played, almost to the exact same point. Because mm-hmm. yeah, um, the first one was kind of a Resident Evil clone. It was so almost exactly a Resident yeah, Evil yeah. clone. It, it felt rough. 
it felt like it dragged on a bit because it was just this linear thing you kept walking yeah. through, mm. but it just kind of felt like I don't I don't want to do another like house mission thing. I don't well, do that's that. what the guys touched on um, when I interviewed them is that they wanted to go open world with this, yeah. um, and how still maintaining like it's hard to make a horror movie or a horror game yeah, open world because world, yeah. you can't script all the scares exactly. right yeah. and players are just doing their own thing yeah so i think that's kind of neat that they managed to pull that off um definite last of us vibes though for sure um the main character even has a jewel-esque <laughs> look, you know grizzled look to him yeah um, some cool crafting mechanics. I'm not sure if that was a big part of the first game. I didn't play the first game. The okay, first game was basically just Resident Evil. Like you mm. had a lot, oh, okay. of, a lot of like the oh, put this blood in this weird tomb thing and watch mm. this eyeball explode. Yeah, a lot of weird, gross out kind yeah. of visceral imagery. Yeah, it was yeah. more like surrealistic monster stuff yeah. than zombie disease epidemic. But yeah. it basically Definitely the same, same mechanics. surrealism going on in this one too yeah. because it's in that yeah like a fictional. A small town world yeah. that exists within your the, mind. Yeah, the STEM system. The, or? The, the beginning sequence where you're going through this like art gallery type space. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really well done. We had like this kind of like flowing red uh, curtains over like weird vignettes. Oh, and, and the murder corpse vi- is kind of hanging in time, and it has some really interesting visuals, especially the one where you had that uh, one where you have this like kind of um, a tableau of all these like bodies kind of piled on top of each other. Mm-hmm. It's weirdly pretty in a way. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, mm-hmm. The art direction, um, oh, I mean, the graphics are nice, too, but I guess that's kind of to be expected yeah. these in, days. In modern generations, it's kind of, if it's not good. Yeah, mean, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's more the exception to the rule if it's the other way around. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, it's fun game so far. I think um, it's neat seeing survival horror kind of be a thing again this generation. It gets hard quick. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, as you'll see in my gameplay footage. <laughs> <laughs> like, the first game, would be, you could kind of slog through it. If you just played it you could do it mm-hmm. this one seems like it actually you have to always be on your toes very much like the last of us where you have to constantly everything even the early enemies can take you down oh yeah I yeah mean, you have a lot of power in what you can do but it you just get sloppy you'll you'll die quick yeah found that out pretty quickly <laughs> and i was playing on regular too yeah or normal or whatever regular difficulty well, the thing is called is these they, days playing it easy now is like casual are you a casual i know player? i mean i still like you know, only play games on hard but um no i got my ass kicked playing on yep. normal so that's cool uh, it, and it, i really do like how they kind of have evolved the genre like mm-hmm. they've made it seem like a much more involved experience than previous well, than the first game and definite cues from uh resident evil 4 oh yeah and this one's got a lot more I don't want to say action because it makes it seem like they've kind of toned down the survival aspects, yeah. which they definitely haven't. But, I mean, there's definitely um, that, you know, over-the-shoulder shooting zombies I, in the I face. will say that kind of um, hillbilly kind of small-town vibe that Resident Evil, the latest Resident yes. Evil had, they've carried out, they've brought into this. Oh, yeah. Like, especially as one of the first uh, scares you have, you see that kind of gross, rotten food. I was immediately, yeah, Resident Evil 7 yeah. in that scene with the, the creepy mom kind of force-feeding her zombie child. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very much and the flies buzzing around yeah. in the kitchen and everything um, but yeah once the game gets into the open world it definitely becomes uh, more of its own thing but very similar setting of yeah. small creepy American towns mm-hmm. but I mean horror movies have been doing that for like oh, yeah. 40 years so mm-hmm. and this is still uh, the same the people that worked on the first game yes yeah but the director of the first game I don't want to say his name because I'll screw it up. Oh, of course. I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but he kind of stepped back this time and let a new guy take over. Okay. Um, so he was still there for like the creative process. But the, the other guy, uh, John Johannes, I believe his name is, is like the director of the game. And he yeah. kind of took over the reins. So I, I think from, I've only, as I said, I've only, I, we both have only played like an hour or so of the yeah. game. 
uh, our review by Joel will be going up tomorrow uh, today. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, he's played a lot more of the game. He's he's gotten to the point where he actually can judge it. At this point, I can say it looks cool from the first. Yeah, like, it could mm-hmm. just get terrible yeah, and be, we have no idea. Yeah, mm-hmm. over from the rest. Joel will actually Joel's impression. actually been playing it for a few days and actually can mm-hmm. judge it properly. I just want to make sure we note, mention that we are not the ones reviewing <laughs> it. No, 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 no. Yeah, check the review before you take anything away from this. This is very much a first impressions kind of thing. But it is coming out on Friday the 13th, so if you want that horror movie, or and there's no horror movies in the theaters, mm, yeah, clearly, yeah, yeah, nothing worth going uh, to. This is the kind of one you I would say mm-hmm. take Evil Within 2 over going to see Happy Death Day, <laughs> yeah. just from what, what I've heard today. Please even, do that. Even some of the visuals. like There's some really good surreal visuals, especially in that first oh, section. Oh, yeah, the first section's full of that. And like turning around and everything behind you is completely changed. And that happens a few times. Even mm-hmm. in the first section, you like you go, you're like I'm stuck in this room. You, tr- you just simply turn the camera and like, oh, there's a completely there's new a room. door there yeah. all of a sudden that wasn't there before. There's some interesting visuals, but um, yeah, it's worth checking out. Yeah, at I very think least. so for sure. Yeah. Can cool. we wrap up there? Sure. Sounds good to me. I think we should. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. And if you like what you hear or you want to know more about the things we've talked about, please visit us at cgmagonline.com or follow us on Twitter at cgmagonline. Guys, you want to plug your Twitters? Uh, sure. I'm at that Phil Brown. I'm at bfry26. No Twitter. Well, you do have one. You just don't want to have yeah. to plug it. <laughs> I haven't used it in four or five years. So. I think I actually have it listed somewhere. Oh, I'm sure. I bet I'm still getting like notifications for it for like the three things I followed for the week. <laughs> 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 Brendan only responds to smoke signals. Um, carrier pigeons as carrier well pigeons. Are, are popular. Mm-hmm. Paper airplanes with notes attached. Clearly, <laughs> that is the best way. <laughs> um, you can also follow us on Facebook, CG Magazine, or on Instagram at cgmagonline.com. Thanks again to Buns Podcast Network and Comic Bento for sponsoring our podcast. From everyone here at CG Magazine, have a great weekend. Mm-hmm.